0: What we're going to do is have a wee look at this sixth commandment in a little more detail. Last week, you'll remember, with five words, you shall not commit adultery. This week, it's just four words, you shall not murder. And so far this evening, we have focused on anger. Uh, the title for this evening was Manage Your Anger, and we have focused on anger, and the reasons for that hopefully are apparent and will become more apparent. But I do want to start looking at this at, at face value, so to speak, and because uh, this commandment actually prohibits The intentional killing of a human being. And I I sort of think that unless we we start there and deal with, or not so much deal with, because that would be impossible, but raise some of the very difficult and sensitive issues that surround this commandment, unless I do that, you may leave here frustrated tonight thinking, ah, but the sort of duct, the more difficult aspects of the sixth commandment, the sixth law of love that's been set in stone. And so before we we tackle some of the tensions, and and I am conscious of time, uh, I want to take a step back and, and highlight just a couple of really important facts. And the first is that we find ourselves living in a relatively interesting context regarding murder and violence and killing. To start with, we hear a lot about it, probably more than any other previous generation, and that's because of we have so much access to newspapers, news reports, bulletin boards, internet sites. Part of the upshot of living in a media-saturated society and culture is that we are constantly hearing or reading about murder and violence on our streets and in our communities. It's very hard not to. But what is particularly interesting about our context is how at the flick of a switch or the changing of a channel, the worlds of reality and illusion and fantasy merge. It all blurs now. And so we we watch more programs, we read more novels, we see more movies, and increasingly we play more computer games where, in the name of entertainment, murder, violence, and killing are central to the plot or essential if you want to win. And as a sort of slightly provocative aside... Is virtual killing, particularly whenever the graphics are now so lifelike, is virtual killing in, say, Grand Theft Auto, Mortal Kombat, Call of Duty, is that a blatant breach of this commandment? Please discuss. Not now. Just a thought, throw it out. Whatever you, you think about that, where you place the lines, where the lines merge we do live in an interesting context regarding the taking of life. And the second thing I want to say by way of introduction is, and this really is in order to lay a critical foundation, is that all life is from God. He's the source. That is what we believe. And I know that all sorts of advances have been made in genetic manipulation and cloning, for example, but this is still not man creating life in a sense. It's just man simply copying God. And life is from God. And it's a gift, and he is the giver, and therefore he alone is the one who's the right to take it away. And murder, when you take it all back, is the taking away of someone's life, and that is beyond our authority. And if life's from God and life is a gift, then all human life is special. Because we have been, according to the Bible, created in the image of God. And we're able to relate to God on a very personal level. And that's what makes us as human beings distinct from the rest of the created order. Human life is special. It is unique. And therefore, human life is valuable. But against that backdrop and bearing in mind those four words, you shall not murder, I feel it would be wrong or at least it would be evasive of me. It would be unwise, not to mention and say something about four huge issues. War, capital punishment, abortion, and euthanasia. If I'm honest, part of me would prefer to say absolutely nothing on these issues and, and just stick to anger in a sense. And yet, I somehow think that for some people, whenever you see the command, you shall not murder, that to avoid these issues and some of the issues that it raises would lack integrity on my part and on our part as a church. So how do Christians deal with these very uneasy subjects? And, and I'm just going to throw out some thoughts, because, again, as I say every week, you can't cover everything. And if you have issues that you want to pick up with me, if you issues you want to discuss amongst yourselves, then please do that afterwards. But when it comes to war, I do think it's fair to say that many, many Christians agree that it is only to be undertaken as the very last and desperate resort that every other option has got to be considered it's got to be trade and even at that it should be defensive it should be proportionate it should be discriminate, and it should be judged to be winnable but that's not what every christian thinks there are other christians who say listen as they have wrestled with this commandment and wrestled with the rest of scripture for example wherever G- when jesus says you got to turn the other cheek And whenever Jesus condemns the use of violence whenever he is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, there are some Christians who believe that all fighting is always wrong, and therefore they have adopted the pacifist position. And as Christians, we believe that our goal is to pursue love and peace and righteousness across all barriers, and so war, if entered into, should break our hearts. There are others who take the view that limited and restrained wars may at times be justified as the lesser of a number of evils. And these are complex issues, and I, as I say I can't begin to do the subject justice, but let me offer you just some brief guidelines as you think this through, just some issues to consider. And the first is this beware of any simplistic glamorization or glorification of war whether that's via cinema, software manufacturers, or the military. Beware of hate, the language of revenge and retaliation. Beware of language whenever people, other people, the so-called enemy, are lowered to a subhuman level where they're talked about in terms of their animals, their scum. Wars kill people who have been made in the image of God. And beware of military operations expanding beyond a limited focus. Terms such as broadening the campaign, inflicting unavoidable collateral damage or punitive airstrikes should at least as a Christian make you wonder whether things might be going beyond any sort of justified and justifiable action. Huge issues. Capital punishment. And I imagine that those Christians who accept it believe that it should be reserved exclusively for those who do commit murder, the idea of a life for a life. And it is precisely the value of a human life, according to some, that justifies passing that sentence. Alternatively, those who are vehemently opposed to the death penalty believe it's barbaric. It dehumanizes any society that imposes it. one of the biggest problems with it is that because the legal system does make mistakes, you should never impose a sentence which is so irreversible. The compromise position for some is that although the death sentence for murder should be passed because that shows a society what it believes about the high value of life, that it should always then be converted to life imprisonment. The debate, the dilemma continues to go on. But there are issues we do have to think through whenever we consider God's laws of love abortion is another uncomfortable topic that gets raised by this commandment Christianity teaches that life is valuable from the moment of conception and yet since the legalization of abortion in the UK and the US millions of pregnancies lives have been terminated and there are some very difficult issues to consider such as rape, the likelihood of profound fetal handicap or a mother's life being at risk I know that But in percentage terms, those count for such a small fraction that most abortions, the vast majority, are carried out, some would say, for convenience. But even in saying that, I realize that for some girls, the pressure to have an abortion is so intense, there just doesn't seem to be any other option for all sorts of reasons. And then the feelings of guilt and regret that many girls carry is crippling and again it's one of those issues that is not settled by making blanket statements or slogans but I do believe that the current rate of abortion worldwide breaks God's heart and it should break ours and then finally euthanasia and these are subjects I know I'm way outside of my field of knowledge and ability to really comment on this uh, intelligently But this whole idea of the intentional medical termination of a person's life, which is different and very distinct from allowing a patient who is suffering from a fatal disease to die in peace without being subjected to painful treatments that can never restore him or her to health. That's not what we're talking about. It's also very different from the use of pain-killing drugs to control severe pain, even at the risk of shortening life. That's also not what we're talking about. And those methods, although there are many medics here, they will know that they're not without medical issues, They are widely practiced. And for many people, they pose few significant moral dilemmas or problems. But euthanasia, also known as assisted suicide or mercy killing, is a problem for lots of people, many Christians, because it allows us to play this role of judging when a life is valid or is no longer valid. And we or they voluntarily decide where we're going to speed up death by taking or being given certain drugs and the problem is that providing safeguards and ensuring that the right to die is not abused that is why this issue is so complex and I acknowledge that and realize that and with all of these issues there are those who would argue that the problem isn't with the value of human life the problem is with a belief in God you see if you could just ditch a belief in God just forget God just write God out then you won't have anywhere near the same hang-ups or moral dilemmas. And so that's a huge issue for us as Christians. Now, having touched, and only touched, I realize that, on some of the tough subjects, I I want to take a closer look just in the last few minutes as to how this commandment applies to all of us because whenever Jesus did teach in this commandment, he broadened the scope of it, and we know that, and that's why tonight so much has been about anger. Because Jesus said, you've heard it said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who does murder will be subject to judgment but I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment and Jesus said this as Jesus often said things to get under the skin of an issue and Jesus knows that unmanaged uncontrolled anger can and often does lead to disaster just like Rick was explaining and Rick sees time and time again in his work and one of the very first stories in the Bible actually reveals that reality. The story of Cain and Abel that's found in Genesis 4. And yes, Cain murdered Abel. But if you back up in the story a bit, you read these words. So Cain was very angry. His face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you, but you must master it. And in that story, you discover the ingredients that get played out time and time again in our world. Envy, anger, deceit, lack of responsibility, lies, refusing to heed a warning, and then ultimately, it can result in murder. And Jesus would have known that story. And surely that was on his mind whenever he said, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his, with his brother is subject to judgment and so here Jesus is doing with this commandment exactly what he did with last week's command because last week we thought about how adultery was not just the outward physical action it was also the inward action of lust in the heart and here with tonight's commandment Jesus makes it plain that the crime of murder is not simply the shedding of blood it's about the hatred and the anger that leads up to that very often so how can we should we handle our anger well to start with i think it's it's important and rick rick has said this that not all anger is wrong there there is such a thing as right or righteous anger and apparently the word anger appears something 455 times in the bible and in 375 cases it refers to god god gets angry god gets angry at hypocrisy at injustice at lies but god never does wrong Anger is an emotion, as Rick said. And it's an emotion that shows we care about certain things. But although God's anger is always righteous, ours isn't. And therefore, how we handle it becomes so important. Rick's already dealt with some stuff I was going to look at just on how different people handle anger differently. I'm going to leave that. But things like road rage or trolley rage in the supermarket... Ever scream at your computer? Ever scream down the phone at someone? And then the whole sports pitch. So I was very brave to Rick say how he handled it and how he suppressed it and channeled it. I'd have to confess it's the one context, and I've shared this before, it's the one context where I struggle the most, is on a sports pitch. I am quite a passive individual generally. But somehow the red mist descends whenever I walk on the football pitch. And it is within that context that I struggle to know how do I handle my anger in a way that doesn't lack integrity and doesn't contradict so much of what I say and what I stand for we all handle anger differently the challenge is how to handle it well as Aristotle said anyone can be angry that's easy but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way that is not easy so let me give you really quickly to some advice First, admit you're angry. Admit it to yourself, admit it to others. Again, Rick has brought this out. And also admit it to God. Don't explode, don't bottle it up. Instead, try and analyse your reasons for your anger and be honest about them. And unfortunately, whenever you're angry, you always are in the wrong frame of mind to really analyse anything. I know that. And although it is difficult, you need to talk about your anger and acknowledge it exists. Because that is vital if you're going to protect yourself. It's vital if you're going to protect your heart, and it's vital if you're going to protect the relationships that you value. (coughs) Second suggestion, deal with your anger immediately. We're probably all familiar with that great phrase that Rick has drawn our attention to. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, you've got to deal with it quickly. Otherwise, it's going to eat away at you, and it does. Bitterness has a chance to bed down and breed if you don't deal with it quickly. And your heart risks getting cold. And as we all know, hot heads and cold hearts never solve anything. And fermented anger, anger that is not dealt with quickly, can easily turn to hatred. And the other thing that's worth saying just about Paul's advice is that this advice doesn't give you the excuse or I the excuse to let fly. Some people think, well, as long as you vent your anger before your head hits the pillow, then it's okay. Because you're just sticking to the letter of the law, so it's all right to lose it with everybody in the house, provided by the time you hit the pillow, you've sorted it. But remember the first part of that verse that Rick showed us. In your anger, do not sin. It's important to deal with anger immediately, but it's also important to deal with it in a God-honoring way. And which connects very closely to third suggestion. Stop and think before you speak, which is always easier said than done. And I love the saying that says this, speak when you are angry and you'll make the best speech you will ever regret. Speak when you're angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. And another gem of New Testament wisdom comes from James: Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And sometimes it really does make sense to count the ten before you ever say anything in response to someone or something that is you. On a sports pitch, it looks really silly if you stand there and one, two, <laughs> three, four. Critical in handling anger then is this fourth thing: forgive and don't bear grudges. And as for anybody who was out this morning, I said that that is one of the things we find the most difficult to do. And sometimes, in fact, most of the time, one of the most disarming and diffusing things you can ever do in a situation where tension is rising and where conflict is inevitable is actually to offer appropriate apologies and forgiveness. just diffuses a situation. disarms people. Forgiving other people rarely, if ever, happens because we feel like it. I meet very few people who ever say I felt like forgiving that person. It's an act. It's a conscious act of the will. I choose to forgive you. I never feel like doing it because you've hurt me. You've sinned against me, but I am making a choice to do it. Clara Barton, who was the founder of the American Red Cross, was known as someone apparently who, who tried never to bear a grudge. And one day she was reminded by a friend of a wrong that was done to her some years earlier and she said, don't you remember, her friend asked, to which Clara apparently replied, I distinctly remember forgetting that. To forgive is a deliberate act of the will. I choose to forget what you've done to me. Anger will always grow and fester in an atmosphere where unforgiveness and revenge are left unattended to. And finally, walk the way of love, the way of love that that, that God has offered to us in his word. Do you know one of the most exciting things for me about engaging with God's word is the discovery that many of the key characters used by God to do incredible things were such flawed people. People just like us, people who struggled with anger management. In fact, If you think about three main figures in Scripture, Moses, David, and Paul, giants of the faith, followers of God, all credited with writing large chunks of the Bible, one of the most astonishing things about each of them is that they were all people who committed murder. And yet that's not how they are remembered. They're remembered for what God did in them and through them. And it's with people like them and people like us that God still chooses to work. And God wants us to find and to walk the way of love. And so 2,000 years ago, God so loved that God so gave his only son to be murdered so that we could find life. Find the way of love. And as a result of his death, we can be transformed from the inside out. So instead of anger, hatred, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, welling up from within, we can actually choose to display Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you know what toothpaste comes spilling out of a toothpaste tube when it's squeezed? What is it that comes spilling out of our lives when we get squeezed? That's the true test of someone's character, is what comes out whenever they're going through pain. And that's why whenever Jesus was crucified and hung on a cross, what came through? Father, forgive. True character. See, my problem on a football pitch is whenever someone scythes me down, what is it that comes out at that point in me? Self-control? Patience? If we find and walk the way of love, if we embrace the cross, and if we walk in step with God's indwelling Holy Spirit, then there's a good chance that those nine characteristics, those nine segments of the fruit of the Spirit will actually come spilling out rather than their rather unattractive opposites. So there we are. We're done tonight. And as with all of the commandments, God has given us the sixth one to protect our life and to protect our relationships. Murder and anger just destroy both. And may God help us to take this command to heart, conscious of time. There are some reflection questions. Again, if you want these, email me and I'll, uh, I'll send them to you. I'm just going to pray to close. Is that okay, guys, rather than sing the last song? Shall we stand together just as we pray, if that's okay? Father, again, we we stand here as a group of people who are so thankful to you for giving us these laws of love written in stone that make so much sense, that are given to us to protect life. And although we have raised some issues that leave us scratching our heads at times and leave us confused and even disturb us, God, your intention is not to confuse us. Your intention is to offer us hope and life and to invite us to walk the way of love. And so, God, may please protect us from getting so hung up on all these issues to the point where we forget what is actually really important, that we are people who reflect Jesus, who are indwelt by you and his Holy Spirit, who then produces the characteristics in us of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. May we be known as those kinds of people so that when it comes to how we handle anger and deal with it, that we do it in a way that honors you, that protects our lives and that guards our relationships. Commit each person to you here tonight. Please take them home in safety. In Jesus' name, amen.